0: After 9, and we'll uh, put Amos to bed. Wearing my unigram shirt. (laughs) Yeah. Alright, Amos
1: 9, verses 1 through 6. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and He said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake, and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them, I will kill the sword. Not one of them shall flee away, not one of them shall escape. They dig into Sheol, from there I shall my hand take them. They climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. They hide themselves on the top of the karma. From there I will search the mountain and take them. As they hide from my sight in the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. They go into captivity before their enemies. There I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil, not for good. The Lord of hosts, he who touches the earth, and it melts, and all who dwell in it mourn, and all that rises like the Nile and sinks again, like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens, and founts his vault upon the earth, calls for the waters of the sea, and pours them out upon the surface of the earth. The Lord is
0: his name. Okay. So, (coughs) the Lord strikes the altar... Now, has the altar struck and breaks it? The altar is going to be uh, useless. Uh, it will not be a refuge for them. And then what did he do with the people who were there? Reminds me of a time when there, were, um, there was an extermination of the people who were together in a temple worshiping. Remember that? When was that? That was when um Once His Face gathered the uh Bale together. Yes. What's his face was who? <laughs> <laughs> J U Remember how many people he stationed at the exits to kill all the people who were coming out? I think eighty guards. What was that? Uh if you hadn't asked me, I told you. Is that? Uh, long about Second uh, Kings ten. Yeah, the long about uh, eighteen to twenty eight or something like that. Um. So what it took J eighty men to do for the Baal worshippers, the Lord by Himself does for the whole nation. There's no fugitive, no refugee who escapes. They can go anywhere they want to. They can go down as far as Sheol. They can go up as far as, yes, they can conceal themselves on Mount Carmel or in the seafloor. They can go into captivity. Anywhere they go, they can't get away from me. God's pursuit is relentless. Is it a good thing or a bad thing that God, uh, that you can't get away from God? Because on what side you're on. That's exactly right. And there are passages that talk about how we can't escape the love of God. Like Romans 8. And that's a blessing. Anywhere you go, God's with you. But there are passages that talk about you can't escape the wrath of God. <laughs> you know, and that's a terrifying thing. Um... And so anywhere anywhere they were, God would destroy them. They would not be able to get away. This is the great God. Again, in 5 and 6, you've had several of these little, almost brief hymns of praise to God. Just talking about the great power of God and what he can do. He touches the land and it melts. And it'll just, you know, have a, it'll rise up and come down like the Nile. Uh, he's the He's the great God. The great God who has his His dwelling place above the heavens. He's the God who brings the waters down. The Lord is his name. You know, we need to think about who God is and his greatness so that we will properly relate to him. So often we just don't respect God like we should because we don't really appreciate the greatness of the Lord. Black comments or questions through verse, verse 6.
2: The start of it, it was smiting the capitals, is says. Mm hmm. cities, I guess?
0: No, I think the capitals of the altar, right? Okay. I don't know. Or uh, maybe of the temple.
3: Here's his doorpost.
0: One says doorpost well, and threshold? Okay.
3: And you almost imagine, I mean, when I read of course, I mean, I may be right, but you almost imagine this. Striking the support, so the temple just collapses on them. Anyway, I mean, almost like what Samson did—just bring the temple come crashing down. He's, I mean, there got—I mean, all the worship that there was nothing anyway. So, yeah, possible.
0: thank you. Yeah, that's helpful. I think that is probably the right. Is this picture.
1: altar in the temple?
0: Yeah, I assume. That's kind yeah. of the picture yeah. I've got: is the Lord standing by the altar in this temple, and he brings the whole thing down on their heads. I mean, he's made the point already that their sanctuaries couldn't save them. You know, their worship can't save them. That he'll send. You know, he'll cut off the horns of the altar. There's no sanctuary for it. There's no fortress. There's no religion that can save. Them. Is there any reason for?
1: He says in verse three, "From there I will command the serpent and I shall bite them."
2: Why does he call it the serpent? I don't know. Right. It's just the idea that even if he hides in the bottom of the sea, I'll just command the serpent to go get him. Uh, I,
0: I would compare it back to 519, where he goes home late and lays his hand against the wall of the snake bites him. Right. You know okay. No place to hide. Did nothing that, like the serpent, as now, serpent? I don't think he's saying some particularly important I serpent. I read that as,
2: as the serpent as opposed to the lion. Yeah. Yeah, where he uses that in the other, or the bear. Or the ostrich bear, yeah. And evidently,
0: a sea serpent, I don't know, they have, I guess, snakes live in. Yes, yeah, see. Water? can yep. yeah, there's a lot of them. down in there the sea. Snakes. Yeah, eels and snakes. Yeah. But like in them. Yeah. I guess there are.
3: <laughs> but eel.
0: Is an eel a snake?
1: Oh, no. well, it's, it's a fish, fish but there are, are sea snakes, the snakes. snakes, yeah. Snee snakes. Sneeze snakes. Sneeze snakes. That thing. <laughs> <laughs> Get on with it. Okay, my question is, you're
0: going. Somebody needs to give me a really good Sneeze course snakes. in zoology one of these days. I, I don't know a lot about animals. All right. Anything else through six? <coughs> Seven to ten.
1: And God is the sons of Ethiopia to me, a sons of Israel, declares the Lord. Have I not brought up Israel from the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from the chapter, and the Arameans from the Kerr? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the son of the kingdom, and I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Nevertheless, I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I am commanding, and I will shake the house of Israel among all nations, as grain is shaken in the sea, <laughs> but not a kernel will fall to the ground. All the sinners of my kernel will die with a sword. Those who say the calamity will
0: not overtake or confront us. So, you know, he asked the question in verse 7. You know, are you any different than the Ethiopians to me? Now, the Ethiopians would be pagans that they would have looked down on and, and, you know, they're nothing. He says, you're just like they are to me. They so often relied on this God specially chosen people idea to make them think, well we got it made, we're exempt from judgment, he's gonna favor us. But, but he makes the point I brought up Israel from Egypt, the Philistines from Kaftar and the Arameans from Kerr. Israel was not as unique as they thought you know, these other nations, nations that had been great enemies of theirs, God had given them their exoduses also. I mean, if God delivering you meant that you'd never be punished by God, then it would mean the Philistines and the Arameans would never be punished because God had delivered them also. You cannot reason from God's deliverance to immunity from prosecution. Just the fact that God's blessed a nation doesn't mean he will never judge them. Now they would see that with their enemy nations. You know this this is such a statement on the idea that you know God was ruling over all the nations and that he showed his care and concern for all the nations. God did not just bless Israel. God blessed other nations too. Isn't that what we read in the New Testament? He sends His rain and sun on the evil and the good. You know, if, if, if God blessing you means you're secure and, and you'll be saved, well then everybody be saved because God blesses everyone. You can't just say, well God's blessed me, God's delivered me, God saved me, so I'm okay. That's what the Israelites were trying to say and that wasn't true. Because God's eyes are on the sinful kingdom, verse 8. He'll destroy it. He will separate the righteous from the wicked. He won't totally destroy the house of Jacob. But the sinners of my people will die by the sword, especially the ones who were saying that they'll never be punished. The calamity will not overtake or confront us. The overconfident and the self-righteous who thought it won't ever happen to us, it will happen to them. So God is going to separate out the righteous and the wicked among his people and he will punish the wicked. So this, this whole idea that being God's chosen people means we're okay, he, he blasts that myth out of the water. Well, comments or questions through verse 10.
3: Okay, sometimes one of the biggest responses that I get to people when you talk, and of course, it's I mean, it. it, it it's true with all of us. One of the biggest responses I get sometimes when people have not obeyed the gospel, not done what God says, one of their arguments will be is, well, God has done this for me, he's blessed me with this. If I weren't good, then all these good things wouldn't have happened to me. And, and they'll base a lot of things upon their experience, their senses, and the blessings and relate to that it still does not and i try what i try to point out is that you know you this is what you know you need to do because the bible says you can't measure everything by your senses and that's a little bit often people often want to do that. you know well, well god's blessed me look at all you know i had a study with a, I was, a few weeks back i had a study with a jewish lady that comes to church um and she she said she believes in Jesus. She's had a hard life. She came here from Israel. and She couldn't even speak English. And and I was moved by her story. I mean, she's come a long way. But uh, one thing she kept going back to was that she feels like and, and and she didn't say this, but in her heart she feels like Israel, for the most part, is God's chosen people. And there was you know the majority of them were going to be saved. And, um, just that kind of confidence and. I'm I'm a Jew. I'm God's chosen, and that and that we have a tendency. All of us, we've
0: got to be careful with that because it can be misleading. Absolutely, Romans two, the Jews' arrogance and seeing themselves being the light to those in darkness and the guide to the blind and all that. Uh, Hebrew or uh, Hosea twelve and verse eight, when Ephraim said, "Surely I've become rich. I've found wealth for myself." And all my labors, they will not—they will find in me no iniquity, which would be sin. God's blessed me, therefore, I am not a sinner. That is not true. So, uh, yeah, good points. Other thoughts. All right, eleven to fifteen.
2: that day I will raise up the fallen booth of David, and will all of its breaches. I will also raise up its ruins, and rebuild it in the days of old. That they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who does this. The old days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will take over, or will overtake the reaper, and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. When the mountains will drip sweet wine, and all of the hills will be dissolved. Also I will restore the captivity of my people Israel and they will rebuild ruined cities and live in them. They will also plant vineyards and drink their wine, and make gardens and eat their fruit. I will also plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I have given them, says the Lord your God.
0: What's the Lord going to do in verse 11?
1: Raise up the fallen.
0: Raise up the fallen what? Booth of David. House, booth, Tent. What does that mean? Raise up the fallen booth of David.
1: Well, do these people consider themselves David's seed, so he's going to raise them back up? Well,
0: I don't think they consider themselves David's seed. The the tabernacle of David? Yeah. I think uh, oh, Do what? The tabernacle of house. Yeah. what? So what does that mean? That this
2: is, might be the restoration of Israel.
0: He's okay. kind of slow. Yeah. We kind of talked around about some of this. I don't think we're right on yet.
2: I think he's going to send when Jesus comes and he's going to call his people. They're going to be truly his people, and that's how it's going to be. They're going to be raised back up or rebuilt. and it goes in several things: the restoring their people, rebuilding their cities plant them on their land, and they'll never be
0: rooted out of it, so kind of the eternal kingdom. Okay, I think that's generally right. I mean, the fallen booth of David, what was David's role? King. So, what was going to happen to the Davidic kingship? Well, was there a Davidic king after the exile? (coughs) So the 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 booth of David. You remember the promise to David that that you know his descendants would reign forever, that that there'd be an eternal kingdom. Well, but but David's booth, David's kingship over the nation, had fallen. There was no Davidic king on the throne. I think he's saying that he would bring, he he would raise back up the Davidic dynasty He he bring the house of David so to speak the the kingship of David back to life again now he did that through Jesus Jesus was the great son of David who reestablishes God's throne and dominion Acts 15 quotes this passage James does, the Lord's brother as applicable in the New Testament period. He quotes it for verse 12. That the the Edomites and all the nations would be brought in to enjoy the blessings of the tabernacle of David being rebuilt, the, the, the Davidic kingship. The Gentiles would become fellow heirs. They'd be called by his name also. Um... So really, when, when David's kingship was restored by Jesus, it was even broader than a kingship over Israel. It was a kingship over all the nations, even Edom. Which, you know, the conquest of Edom and incorporating Edom into the people of God, of all the unlikely people to include under David's kingship, the Edomites, who are the constant enemies of God's people but through David they would be brought in and conquered by the gospel and submit to David's kingship so I think 11 and 12 is really a a prophecy of of David's kingship being reestablished through Jesus and broadened out to include people of all nations does that make any sense? That that promise to David is really key in the Old Testament. That 2 Samuel 7, 1 Chronicles 17, all kinds of meditations and thoughts on it in Psalm 89, and then constant references back to it, all through the prophets, as they would speak of of David being their king. Man, in, in lots of passages, I think about passages like Isaiah 9, uh, talking about the child in verse 6, they'll be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and so forth. And in verse 7, there'll be no end to the increase of his government and a, or a peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. So Jesus was the one who would reestablish David's kingship over his people, incorporating the nations into that as well. Comments and questions through verse 12? That we conclude Amos looking to blessings in the future. Most of Amos has been talking about the judgment against Israel's wickedness, but as we look forward to the future, we see great blessings. And in 13 to 15, you see, wow, just the whole opposite of what you'd seen before. In verse 6, 13, things are coming when the plowman will overtake the reaper. (laughs) That's pretty wild. I mean, there's so much to reap. they'll be be ready to plow again before they get the reaping over with. The treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The the mountains will drip sweet wine. You know, they'll be up to their ears in grape juice. And the hills will be dissolved. I'll restore the captivity of my people Israel. They'll rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They'll also plant vineyards and drink the wine, make gardens and eat their fruit. you remember what he said earlier? Back in chapter 5 and verse 11, They'd have houses they wouldn't get to live in. they plant vineyards, they wouldn't drink the wine. Now they, they will be blessed with their blessings. They'll get to enjoy the fruit of their labor. I'll plant them on their land, and they will not again be rooted out from their land, which I've given them. They'll have safety and security. No one will snatch them out of my hand. John 10:28. So these are the great blessings to come after the judgment, after the punishment. God is faithful to his promises, to his covenant, and he's going to bless them and give them so much. It's cool how, you know, he even is a book like Amos with a note of future hope for those faithful to God. Comments and questions? This the Second
1: Chronicles reference.
0: What do I say about Second Chronicles? But oh, First Chronicles seventeen. First Chronicles Yeah. Second Samuel 1 7, Chronicles seventeen. So, what'd you say about verse thirteen? The plowman overtaking the reaper. And like it's that. like it's like you know. There's so much reaping to be done that it's time to plow again before they get through reaping. <laughs> you know, I, that's a lot of harvest. Get so much so much to lay in that, that the plowman catches up to the guy that's doing the reaping.
3: It's such a prosperous time that you just can't keep up with all the abundance. That's the point. Exactly. You're just looking at a time. There's two things of two things about this. The the symbolic language of this, Alan, is throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, they pictured, and that's Revelation's a lot like this. Why a lot of people don't get it. It's the it's the apocalyptic, the symbolic language. You always Witnesses take verses like this, and they look towards this perfect time on earth when everything is just perfect. And a lot of these passages are looking at the ideal, the 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 just a wonderful picture of you know uh, just a time of supreme blessing, of, of blessings like you wouldn't believe. But it's just symbolic of the of the of the happiness and the joy and the ideal, if you will, in a sense of the way things would be, not literally. But a figurative time of blessing and enjoyment in, in the Messiah. I Maybe mean, I didn't say that exactly right. But, um, so a lot of people that go to these passages misunderstand them because they're looking to this time when they're literally fulfilled. But these, these blessings, and it's just shown in material ways and things like that.
0: Yeah, excellent. That's exactly right.
3: The thing is,
1: someone i try I tried telling people that before, and they say... No, it's
0: not literal. Prove it. Acts 15. When James quotes this about Jesus. I think that's helpful when you see passages like that. When James quotes this in Acts 15, talking about God's bringing the Gentiles in in their day. He says with this the words of the prophets agree just as it is written and he cites Amos chapter 9 verses 11 and 12. So that tells me that the time of the fulfillment of Amos 9 is the time that James uh, was in in Acts 15. It's not always that simple, but when we've got a New Testament, this is that. That is helpful. Any other comments or thoughts? Well, I'm glad we had the chance to study English together. I appreciate your uh, being here and your participation and all that. Thank you. Stay as long as you like. You can clean house and do the laundry if you want.